Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Already. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We exalt your name, give you praise, glory, and adoration. We magnify you for your loving kindness. We exalt your name because you are a faithful Father. We come once again to receive instructions from you on the mind God that will give us the ability to comprehend that which you are about to share with us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we go on straight. We are on our subject, which is the unpardonable sin. What is the unpardonable sin? Is there an unpardonable sin? These are the things we are looking at, and we're saying which sin is unpardonable, and which one is pardonable. Uh, but essentially, is it true that there is a sin that is unpardonable? And... Uh, We've been going through the scriptures like we started last week. So, uh, let's quickly go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. Let's start from there tonight. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. If any man see his brother, seeing a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, do not say that he should pray for it. Hallelujah. So here we are told that there is a sin unto death, there is a sin not unto death. And again, we are told that if you sin a sin that is not unto death, the brother could pray for you, or you could pray for such an individual, and God will give you life for him. So it means you are the one that is responsible to bring the person back to life. Because you can pray for that individual. Men, God will give you life for them. And that's very important. I want you to know that. And so again he said that there's a sin not unto death. And there's another one unto death. So this is where we've been discussing uh, since last week. And then um, we went to Hebrews chapter 6. And verse number 4 in particular. Verse number 4 to 6. I'm sure we dealt with 4 and 6 last week. But let's look at Hebrews 6, verse number 4 to 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and we have been partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the world to come, which is actually the age to come, and I explained that extensively last week. And verse number 6 says, If they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing the crucified to themselves, the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Amen. Now, we're going to be taking from verse 6 this evening um, to recap what we said last week. He said to renew them again unto repentance. Why is this so? Because essentially, you find that repentance is the first step. That a sinner must take in order to return to God. Amen? 
and our sorrow for sin must be, unless itself there be a proper sacrificial offering. By implication, where there is no remission of sin, I mean, where there's no sacrifice, there's no remission of sin. Are you getting that? Now, this individual have forsaken the sacrifice. Are you listening? So now, there is no repentance. Why? Because the thing that you are supposed to look onto, follow the scripture here, is saying there is no way to bring people back to repentance. Repentance is the beginning of your journey into God, as it were. Now, the sacrifice for sin is offered but once. You have kind of turned your back on that sacrifice, which is Christ, like he's saying, you crucify the Son of God afresh. By implication, you're rejecting the sacrifice. So we're saying, there is no other provision that God intends to make for you to come back to him. That one sacrifice that will be made, which you've rejected, following the understanding that without the sacrifice, there is no remission of sin. Good. So now you've rejected the sacrifice. By implication, there is no way your sins can be remitted. Are you following the argument? So, Paul is speaking to the Jews here, primarily. You see, they've rejected the sacrifice by crucifying. Again, remember the crucifixion is on this ground. They came up to say Jesus was an imposter. Is not the Messiah. Is not a genuine Messiah that they were looking for. So they rejected him. So Paul is saying that is the only sacrifice that is made available for you to come back to God. So if you have tasted the good things of God initially and you decide to go back and begin to speak against the provision for your sacrifice, it becomes impossible. Are you getting understanding now? So this is why it is impossible for you to come back to what? To repentance. If they should fall away to renew them again or to repentance, sin, they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put into what? An open shame. Like I explained last week, it is like saying, the Jews were saying, well, if Jesus were to be alive today, I will crucify him because he's an imposter. So they rejected the sacrifice of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Are we still together? Right. But there are some things I'm going to make you see. So they reject him on the ground that he was an imposter. They don't believe that he was a genuine man. And justly put to death. By implication, they felt the death that Jesus died, it was real. By implication, he was qualified for the death because he was an imposter. He was not a genuine man. He was a liar. He was a crafty man who came to pose as the son of God and the savior of mankind. So, good enough, they killed him. That's right for him. It's the right thing to do. That's the understanding. So, Paul is not saying, well, if you say that, it simply means there is no way you can come back to God because you have rejected the only sacrifice that he has offered. Are you getting that? Good. So, my question would be, Assuming you finally recollect your senses and come back to say, I'm sorry, Lord. What happens to you? 
Come on, are you, are you there with me? We are looking at this question of it is impossible. We are looking at the question of a sin unto death. So here is the sin that the people that say, I don't believe he's qualified to die. If I had my way, I will kill him. Because he's a liar. Just like it was with Saul on the road to Tarsus, which is now eventually became Paul, what happened to Paul? He who was killing this system ended up becoming an apostle, saving people into the system again. Are you following what I'm saying? Right. So essentially, if you look at this scripture, it is not impossible. It's only on the ground that you keep on arguing it and you keep on believing it that this man is an imposter. That's when it becomes impossible. But if you finally, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, decide to say, oh God, I'm sorry about that, what happens? All the years of your rejecting have been what? Forgiven. You come back to God. Are you following that? So the main thing is your acceptance. The main thing is your believing. So here we find out this is a type of sin that was against Christ, against the Spirit. As a matter of fact, you can say it's blasphemy because we are blaspheming against the Son of God. Praise the Lord. Right. When he say you put him you know, to shame publicly, you know, as, as the case may be, what he's trying to say also is that publicly you're feeling like you should be crucified exactly the way he was crucified because he was qualified to be crucified as an imposter. Amen? All right. All right, so I'm not going to spend so much time on that this evening, but I just want you to get the whole package together. When you say it is impossible, if a man falls away, you just need to understand basically what Paul was talking about. But essentially realized he was dealing with the Jews. Is that okay? It's a book written to the Jewish people. That is the primary audience. Okay. Now I'm going to show some scripture today, uh, at least two passages. One of them is going to be an extensive reading. First Corinthians chapter 5. I want, to, I want you to see uh, a, a scene that I will feel is, it was a horrible scene. And this was a sin by a believer. And so we need to read the whole of this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and so fornication and is not so much as named among the Gentiles that once you have his father's wife. Are you following this? It's such a horrible thing. We are talking about a brother that was sleeping with the father's wife. Once you have, it's not like it was an accident. It's a continuous affair. And that was bad enough. And Paul is saying, even the Gentiles can't tolerate a thing like that. Are you there with me? Good. Now, you must realize if it was the Old Testament... They should be stoned to death. Is that okay? Be by Lord of Moses. So let's go on. Verse 2. And you are puffed up, and you have not rather mauled that he that does this, this deed might be taken away from among you. Look at the recommendation. For verily, as verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that had so done this deed. 
In other words, judgment is coming. In other words, something has to be done. You could call this uh, church discipline. Uh, verse 4. In the name of our Lord, judgment now is coming. This is the recommendation Paul is giving to the church. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to do what? Deliver such a one unto what? Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Hallelujah. What is the recommendation? Send him to Satan. I think Satan is in hell, right? So send this man to hell. <laughs> and what is the purpose? This is what I want you to see. What is the purpose of this man being sent to Satan? It's for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. I did mention to you last week, spirit can't die. And there is no way the Lord have received you. You received the spirit of the Lord. You've come to join with the Lord. First Corinthians 17, that joined to the Lord is one spirit. And then you will fall away and never ever recover and be lost in hell. It's never found in scripture. Are you sitting there with me? It's never found in scripture. You can read it all through. I will let you know that those who can ever think that when they go out of the word of the Lord by implication, they can't be brought back or they will never, never see the Lord anymore. They were not born again in the first place. They were not. They were men that confessed with their lips, but their heart is far away. They were not believers. I will show you a scripture at the end of this. Let's read on verse number two. I mean verse number six. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little living, living the whole lump. In other words, other people can take an example from what you're doing, from that individual is doing. Right. Paul, therefore, that old living, that you may be a new lump, as you are living for even Christ our Passover is crucified for us. Clean out that attitude from the church. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the living, neither with the living of malice, as old living, neither with the living of malice and wickedness, but with the living bread of sincerity and truth. That is how we talk about Passover. Now remember, Passover has to do with what you come out of the wall, become a believer. So you have three feasts in Israel. And you have the Feast of Passover, you have the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So, Feast of Passover is when you get to know the Lord. Then the Feast of Pentecost is when you start experiencing the fruit and the grace of the Holy Spirit. And the Feast of Tabernacles is when you put on immortality, glorify a body. These are the three feasts. Amen? Verse 7 says, I wrote unto you in an, I mean, in an epistle not to accompany with fornicators. And verse 10 says, Yet not together with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for them must ye not go out, need go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, verse 11, if any man 
that is called a brother, be a fornicator, or a covetous, or idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or a suctioner, with such one, not to eat. And I want you to look at this. When you start looking at this thing, what, who is a railer? By implication, we have brothers who are involved in all of these things. And Paul is saying, don't allow this to be in the church. And what are those things I mentioned there? You just look at them, fornicators, a covetous man, an idolater, a ruler, that somebody who quarrels often, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, right? With such one, and not to eat even with them. He was trying to clean the church. He was trying to bring some level of separation to the believers. He wanted to have a clean church as far as the Corinthian chapter is concerned. Let's read on verse 12. But what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not yet judge them that are within. In other words, how can I be speaking or talking against those who are outside and not talk about those who are inside? Is that okay? Right. But them that are out, but them that are without God judge therefore put away from among yourself that wicked person. Praise God. Is that okay? They say here, it's like saying the unbelievers, God is going to judge them, but you who are in the church, you have to judge yourself. In fact, scripture said if you judge yourself, you have no need to be judged with the world. First Corinthians 11. Is that okay? How do you judge yourself? By living by what the world says. By staying with what the world says. You judge yourself by the world. You see, Jesus said in John chapter 5, nine, first of all, he made it that the Son of Man came to judge the world. Right? And what was the judgment? He said, men love darkness and refuse to come to the light. Because if they come to the light, their days will be exposed. What is the light? The word of God. Are you there with me? All right. But now, so, get the picture. The background to the one I'm trying to make you see. As terrible as this thing was. Let's look at Second Corinthians chapter 2. Verse number 1. Remember, this man had been cast away. This man had been sent away from the church. This man seemingly had been given over to the devil. Right? For the destruction of the flesh. So it's no longer in fellowship, if you will. So Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 1. But I determine this with myself, that I will not come again to you in heaviness. In other words, I'm not going to be coming again to beat you up with heavy letters that will make you be sorrowful. For if I make you sorrow, who is he then that maketh me glad? But he's saying, which is made sorrow by me. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I come, as you are sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. Hallelujah. In other words, I don't want to write any more letters to you that will make you feel pains and be in sorrow. I need you to be joyful. Now I'm going somewhere. Look at the next thing. Verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that ye might know the love 
which I have more abundantly unto you. So he's trying to say the first letter I wrote to you. I use some heavy languages and with the pains I wrote that, but you should understand that it's not because I want you to feel pain and I want you to go bad. No, I did that out of love so that you can come out of the state that you were. Go to the next thing. And it says, But if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was afflicted on many. In other words, that man that committed that sin, which made him to write that letter to them, insulted them, if you will, has made many of the church, that's the rest of the church now, to be grieved, to be afflicted by his later because of what an individual did. Are you following the argument? All right. So that, contrarywise, you ought to, and you follow this, rather forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with what? Overmuch sorrow. By implication, this man was already in sorrow. Are you listening to me? By reason of the letter that Paul wrote, by reason of the fact that he was sent out of the church, this man was in sorrow. So Paul is not saying enough of the sorrow that this man is going through. Look at the next verse. Therefore, I beseech you that you should confirm your love towards him. Hallelujah. Are we still here? All right. Verse number eight says, or verse number nine. For this end also did I write that I may know the proof of you. Whether you be obedient in all things. What is the all things? I wrote to you to send him away. You did. Now I'm asking that you bring him back. Will you bring him back? Are you listening to me? Verse number 10. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgive it for your sake, forgive it also in the person of Christ. He's dealing with that individual in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Whosoever I forgive, you ought to forgive. If you think you can forgive, forgive him in Christ. But primarily because this man had now been what? In sorrow. Now look at verse 11. This is the key. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of what? Of the devices. What is the devices? The devices is, we send this man away, we never have any more love in our heart to restore him. So what's the next thing? Satan wins this man over. So instead of becoming a disciple of Jesus, he ends up becoming a disciple of Satan. Are you listening to me? When you quote this scripture, people always, you know, use this scripture. They don't understand what they are just talking about. Lest 
Satan should get advantage of us. We are not ignorant of the devices. What are the devices? The devices is if we had in our heart against this individual who committed a sin that we sent away, he will finally not be able to make it back to God. So it's Satan that had in your heart not to forgive people so that they can't find fellowship in God anymore. Are you still there with me? Praise the Lord. Now, what we are dealing with here now is what happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I mean chapter 5, verse number 5. Remember that? To deliver such a one unto what? Unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved when? In the day of the Lord. So here is this guy that was sent away and finally ended up being in sorrow. Well, that's supposed to mean he repented of his acts and he started feeling pains. And of course, the entire church was also feeling the pains. You know why? Because if the church loses a member in the true sense, they ought not to be comfortable. So they were feeling pains. Now, on one hand, Paul said, Would you send him away? Now they are all in sorrow that the brother have left church. Are you sitting there with me? Right. And now Paul is writing, well, that man finally is in sorrow, which is godly sorrow anyway. Right? Good. And now you are all also feeling the pain, but I'm saying bring him back and show him some love. Restore him back to faith. So at the end of the day, Satan will not take advantage of the hardening of our heart against him, not to get him back. So when the Bible talks about we are not ignorant of the devices of Satan, it is on the ground that when you harden your heart against people, thinking that they will never repent, thinking that they will never come to God, Satan is actually using you as an evangelist. You are evangelizing for Satan. Are you following what I'm talking about? Now, don't forget what we're, de- what we're dealing with. We sin is unpalatable. That's what we're talking about. So, as grievous as this man's case was, was he pardoned or not? It's a question. Was he pardoned? Was he restored back? Dude. The key point is, no matter the type of sin... Once you can recover yourself and go back to God, your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. So here was a terrible, terrible case that was in this church. And here is how Paul ended it up with them. We are not ignorant of the devices of Satan. Let Satan get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of the devices of Satan. Forgive this man, or Satan is going to win this man over. Praise the living God. Are you there with me? Yeah, I need you to see in the light of God's word and the spirit of the Lord, the way it operates. So that when you're talking about being ignorant of the devices of Satan, I mean, we're talking about unpardonable sin, we should be able to understand exactly what we're talking about when we get there. Hallelujah. Let me show you another scripture. 
First Timothy 1 verse 18. Because somebody will say, well, Pastor David, what is most crucial about this unpardonable sin has to do with blasphemy. And that's why it's important for those people to, you know, get back to the Lord, to bring them to repentance. So, let's look at what Paul wrote here. This charge I am reading from verse 18. This charge I commit unto you, O Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war what? A good warfare. And the next verse says, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. What is that? Verse 21. Of verse 20. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have delivered unto Satan, that he might learn not to do what? Blaspheme. That means they were blaspheming. Did you get that? So even if you say the sin of blasphemy is the unpardonable sin, here are men that Paul said I handed over to Satan. The man in 1 Corinthians 5 were handed over to Satan. What ended up? I mean, what was the end of that man? He was referred back to faith. Because after Satan had finished dealing with that individual, the man who can't... How many of you remember the issue of the prodigal son? Very good. If you remember the issue of the prodigal son, you don't need any money to preach to that man. By the time he went feeding horse somewhere else in another man's land, no food. Ah. I know my father has so many servants and enough to eat. I have to go back home. I will show you a scripture on that in the book of Jeremiah. What happens to you? If you are truly born again, if you are truly having the spirit of God, I'm not saying this to encourage any, any licentious living. That's not, people should understand what I'm, do, what I'm doing with this message. Is that okay? This is not a room for any kind of lifestyle. That's not what I'm talking about. But scripture should be interpreted exactly the way it is. Because you know what? Like that man, if Paul had not asked that he restore him, he would have actually ended up not knowing the Lord. Is that okay? Not being in church anymore. Because of the way the church handles issues. Hallelujah. So here Paul said... These are two guys that have come to the place of blasphemy. And what was the right thing to do? He handed them over to Satan. For the destruction of the flesh as well. That the spirit might be saved in the law of the Lord. In this case, that they might learn not to blaspheme. So that means, in this punishment for them will make them learn not to. So if they learn not to, what happens? They are back in faith. Is that okay? But this is blasphemy. So even if you say, well, the sin of blasphemy that make one unpardonable, here's a simple ex- illustration for you from Scripture. That even Alexander Hermenius, who blasphemed, the Lord restored them back. By the time Satan finished, sometimes see Satan will be a good instrument in the hands of God. How many of you understand that? Because this, all of these guys now have been saved or returned back by reason of Satan's ministry. Am I correct? Yeah. So, all the time, you see, sometimes when you want to bind the Satan, 
I, I would rather sometimes just allow Satan to do what he wants to do because it probably means God has just allowed him to do that so that you can come back to him. Now, how many of you have a dog in your house? We don't so much have dogs here. But you know how the dog works? The dog obeys every instruction. You treat the dog well, but in the true sense, the dog not your child. Is that okay? But the dog can get away all enemies, and, and sometimes the dog can even frighten your children in the house. Okay? But the dog can go only as far as you allow the dog to go. So Satan can only be allowed as far as God intended to go. That's why when he was talking to God, God said, you can touch his flesh, touch his words, but don't touch his soul. You can't. That I have sealed. Is that okay? I mean, I'm talking about the case of Job. Satan could go beyond the dimension that God gave to him to afflict Job with. So, the problem is not with the devil. The problem is actually with us. Because, listen, Scripture says, if your way pleases the Lord, he maketh even your enemies to be at peace with you. And the devil can be your enemy, right? You always see the devil as your enemy, isn't it? Well, God said he's going to make the devil to be at peace with you. So, must you be pursuing the devil or consider your ways? Because if your way pleases the Lord, he maketh even your enemies to be at peace with you, and that includes the devil. Which is wizard and whatever, Sangomas, anything you want to name. He makes them to be at peace with you. So the problem is not with your enemies. The problem is not with the devil. The problem is with you. Because you have not considered your way. Because if a man's way please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be what? At peace with him. Hallelujah. Are we still here? Look at Psalm 109, verse number 4. We read up to verse number 5 and 6. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. David is talking. And they have rewarded me evil for good, and hated me for my love. Set thou a wicked man over him, and let it stand at his right hand. <laughs> now, but <laughs> now, what do you think David is talking about here? For the two examples we've had already, anytime Satan ministry comes up, they become new people. Am I correct? So, what do you think David is talking about here? I remember one time I was saying, man, the Bible is not asking us to pray for enemies, you know, pray against our enemies or whatever. If I say we should pray for our enemies. And the person told me, no, David, look at the life of David. Look at all that David said in the Bible. Look at all that he said in the Bible about enemies, how he was praying that God should kill his enemies and all that. I was like, that's fine. But if you take time to study what David was talking about, it was not necessarily killing enemies. Because if you wanted to kill enemies, you will have killed Saul. Did you get that? He will have killed Saul. He had the opportunity to kill Saul. How many of you understand that this guy will be referring to Absalom? And when Absalom died, 
Remember what happened? He wept for such a long time. So why don't you even see the prophetically talking about the even issue of Judas Iscariot? Because some of those prophetic words that David was speaking, they relate to Jesus in his ministry. Hallelujah. So here he's talking about, let Satan stand on his right hand. You know, it means an adversary simply. Though sometimes it's you to express the devil, I mean, evil spirit or Satan. But here, the word Satan actually is talking about adversary. Let an opposer stand at his right hand so that he cannot do what he's doing to me. Are you there with me? Hallelujah. Let him be opposed and thwarted in all his purposes. That is what he's saying. It's not saying send him to Satan and said, I said, I'm going to kill him. No. When he said, let Satan stand at his right hand. What is right hand? The place of power. The place of dominion. The place of authority. So what he's saying, our Lord, just get him, somebody to, I mean, to become his adversary, to, somebody to oppose him, so that he cannot be able to execute the power with which he's afflicting me. Did you get that? I mean, did you understand what I said there? It's not saying send him to Satan so that Satan can kill him. Give him an opposer. Give him an adversary that will occupy him so that I get my freedom. He wasn't praying for anybody to die here. Hallelujah. It's like some people who pray sometimes, I love, but it's also fine. All my enemies let them sleep and not remember me. It's a good one, but I hope you are not saying let them die. <laughs> Because in the presence of your enemies, the Lord will prepare you a table. But here he said, look, God, this man have done all of this to me, rewarded me for my good. Everything I've done, he comes with all the opposition, he's tried to attack me. Now, Lord, send him a Satan or an adversary to stand at his right hand, the place of his power and authority, to withstand him, to oppose him so that he will no longer reward me for evil. Praise the Lord. So, can I ask a question? Is it good ministry or not? That's the problem. Are you sitting with me? The man in 1 Corinthians 5, Satan has to help him to overcome. He gets into sorrow. In 1 Timothy, Paul now sent people, 2 Timothy now, sent how many and Alexander to Satan that in my lung not to blaspheme. And here, David is saying, give Satan to this man to stand at his right hand. To do what? So that he will not be able to oppose me or reward me evil for good anymore. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. I just, I'm just trying to show you part of the ministry of Satan there. Now, let's get down to Jeremiah. Because you see, why am I bringing this point? We've always believed it. That when you see a backslide, or as the case may be, you are not a believer, you are going to be in hell together with Satan. Am I right? Come on, am I, am I correct? Is that not what we preach? Yeah. God will send you to hell with Satan, all of that. But from all that we are seeing here, 
Satan is doing a good job. So is that to say some of you, if you go to hell, you're going to come back? I don't know. But it's like if Satan truly do execute his ministry the way God intended, you're going to come back. No matter where you go to, you're going to come back. Sorry to say. That is only because you are not a believer. Let me show you something in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2 verse 19. Jeremiah 2 verse 19. Hallelujah. Look at what he's saying here. Thy own, what? Wickedness shall correct thee. And thy backslidings shall reprove thee. Know therefore, and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. Hmm. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Go with me to, let's read it from the book of Amplified Translation. Amplified Translation. Jeremiah 2 verse 19. Your own wickedness has chastised and corrected you. And your backslidings and desertion of faith shall reprove you. Know therefore and recognize that this is an evil and bitter thing. First, you have forsaken the Lord, your God. Second, you are indifferent to me. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. Are you see that? What is God saying to these people? You see, remember, we're telling with backsliding, like we read before from the book of Hebrews. Is that not true? So what is God saying here now to his own people who backslided on him, who have forsaken him? What is God saying? What will eventually happen to them? What's the next thing? They're going to come back. They have backslidden. They are forsaken. There is nothing else you're going to say that is worse than this. But God said, these two things you've done are the same thing that are going to bring you back. And so, this is where you see the case of the prodigal son. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me read verse 20 there. And let me show you. For long ago in Egypt, I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, your bonds, not that you may be free, but that you might serve me. And long ago you shattered the yoke and snapped the bonds of my Lord which I put upon you, said I will not serve and obey you for upon every high hill and upon every green tree you eagerly prostrate yourself in idolatry worship and playing the harlots. Did you see that? So it's not saying you are backsliding. You are now worshiping idols instead of the living God. Is there anything greater than that in terms of sin and offense? But he's saying even this act that you've committed, these are the things that are going to bring you back. Your correction will come from the thing you're doing now. So you see that with the prodigal son. After he left the father's house, Doing all that he was doing. He came to a place. He came to a place and he said, No. My father. In fact, the Bible says, When he came to his mind. Other translation will say, When he came to his senses. He said, No. My father has so many 
servants and much more than enough. So how can I continue here suffering and having nothing to eat? I would rather go back home. Your backsliding heart shall correct thee. Except you were not a son. Except you were not born again. Are you following what I'm talking about here? So, some of your backsliding sometimes are the thing that actually brings you back because you're going out of pleasure, you're going out of freedom, and you end up being in bondage, and without alone, you want to go back to the liberty that you were having in the house of faith. I'm yet to still see an unpardonable sin. In the course of studying the scriptures, I haven't seen one. Hallelujah. Because this is one of the greatest backsliding stuff you can talk about. Men who forsook God and they were worshipping idols. What else? But in the midst of this, God is still saying, you have not gone away, you're still going to come back. Because even this is your action. I mean, read that again. Verse number, verse number 19. Look at this. Your own wickedness shall chasten and correct you. So there's correction. And your backslidings and desertion of faith shall prove you or reprove you. Know therefore and recognize that this and evil and bitter thing. First, you have forsaken the Lord your God. Second, you are indifferent to me. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord of hosts. Did you get that? But God is saying even with this that you have done. That's why I listen, folks. If you like, waste your time. He said, the time you're going to take to forsake the Lord, within that period that you're not going to go for what God says and how he's called it to himself, the things that you're going to go through, you will regret that you ever took that decision. You can't go away from the Lord. It's practically impossible. No devil can get you out of the hands of God. And I'm going to prove that to you right away from scriptures. Are you still there with me? Praise the living God. So here was Israel, the forsaking God. I'm not talking about they were thinking. No, they forsook God. God saw it clearly that they are forsaking Him. They backsliding on God. They don't want to have anything to do with the faith. So it's like saying, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And God was just laughing. You don't want to be a Christian? Go away. Go do whatever thing you want to do, but you're going to come back. Your decision to even forsake Christianity is the thing that's going to bring you back. Yesterday I got an email from a friend. A dangerous guy. When I use the word dangerous, when it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to interpreting scriptures. I remember one night, I was, my wife came to my room and saw me. I was here on, I was about 2 a.m. Remember that night, he said, you don't sleep. And I told you, I'm just having a discussion with a friend in the U.S. He's an apostle. But something happened to him. And he backslided on God. Early this year. And he said, I don't want to have any communication with anybody anymore. All those who are contacting me, all those I was talking to, please don't reply to this email and don't ever talk to me about Christianity. I don't want to go into what led to that. But in the true sense, it was marriage that led him to take that decision. Only yesterday he sent me an email. And then I told him, but you said we should all talk to you. 
Praise the living God. You, you said don't reply. You said, Apostle David, please don't reply to this email. If you do, I'm going to be offended with you. I've ordered email to Maxwell. Well, but he said don't reply. So why do you want to reply him? Only yesterday he sent me an email. I wasn't replying. I said, but brother, you said we should reply to your emails. Why are you sending me an email? It's not comfortable where it is right now. Are you still there with me? He is not. See, Paul said, there is a tasting of the good things of the age to come. There is no way you taste God, you see the sweetness of God, the goodness of God, and you go away from that. It's practically impossible. You're going to find yourself back. You're not going to go too far. Except you were not born again. Are you still there with me? Now let me show you something. Why I believe what I believe. And you can always bear with me that I believe what I believe and I say what I say because I see them in scriptures. Not about what anybody says. Not about what some doctrines I know that have been put in place. No, it's what I see in scriptures. Somebody may be asking, David, are you, are you lying or preaching about looseness? Not at all. But don't forget scripture in Galatians chapter 6. If your brother be taken in the fort, you are spiritual. Restore such a brother. Lest he yourself, you say, with the spirit of meekness, yet he yourself fall into the same word, temptation. Meaning, no man is above temptation. There are things that can lead you away from the Lord. So if those of us who are in the faith, now the example of Paul again comes to mind. When we see our brother do something, what should be our immediate response? In fact, Paul says, remember in 1 Corinthians 5, he recommended sending away to Satan. But in Galatians 6, he should pray. <laughs> Are you still there with me? Let's read it, then we'll come back to John. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. Galatians 6, verse number 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, let that also be what tempted. What is going to be your temptation in this case? You're going to execute the judgment above what it's supposed to be. Restore with the spirit of meekness. Did you get that? But in 1 Corinthians 5, what did he say? How can you allow this? How can you do this? My spirit be with your spirit and in the presence of the Lord. I'll send that doubt in the job be sent unto Satan. For the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. That should be the highest punishment, I believe. To deal with that thing that's enabling you to do what you're doing. And so but when he come to Galatians here and he said, man, I did that before, because remember in 2 Corinthians, it begins to write, my late house, you are waiting, they made you sorrow, I don't want that anymore. So, it's like you've learned your own lesson from the false judgment that he gave, and it's not saying, oh, come on, listen, if your brother be taking the fault, what do you do? Restore such one in the spirit of what meekness, let's say yourself fall into what? The same temptation. By implication, you are going to be executing the judgment the way you are not supposed to execute it. 
Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. This is why you see the father of the prodigal son was always expecting him to come back. Because when he was coming back, the Bible made us understand he was already by the gate waiting for him. When the prodigal son arrived, remember when he said, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. He came trying to talk to the father, trying to recount what he has done, but the father never listened to that. It was not what he had done that was a problem to the father. It is his return that is made concern. That's Galatians 6 verse 1. Hallelujah. So, how do you expect somebody to blaspheme or one thing or the other and then such a sin is not, it's not unpalatable. I mean, it's not pardonable. How is that going to be? You think God is going to do that? When Adam sinned and left the presence of God as it were, what did God do? When the Bible said that they were naked, I explained that to you the other time. They were naked. Okay, naked of what? Whatever the naked was for. What did God do? He went and brought a skin of an animal to clothe them. Huh? I made it to understand when the Bible said they were naked. Nakedness was not that they were naked, you know, they are no clothes on, whatever the case may be. You need to understand something. They were naked of the glory of God. Not physical nakedness that their private part were exposed. That's what he's talking about. That's childish. Somebody said, Pastor, what do you mean by that? You do read in the book of Exodus when Moses came down from the mountain. And Aaron had made a golden calf. What did God say? I mean, Aaron, what, 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 what did Moses told Aaron? Say, you made the people to be naked. Were they naked? For worshiping the idol, they lost the glory. You've made them exposed to all forms of attack and everything. You've made them naked. That's what it means to be naked. Okay, maybe you don't understand this. Second Corinthians 5. You just need to read your Bible. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Let me read it. Take from any translation you want. I shared this with a brother yesterday when I was lined out with my wife and we were discussing. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. For we know that if the tent which is our earthly home is destroyed, dissolved, we have from God a building, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Go ahead. Here indeed in this present earthly body as it were now, we sigh and groan inwardly because we yearn to be clothed over. We yearn to put on our celestial body like a garment to be fitted out with our heavenly dwelling so that by putting it on we may not be found naked. What is nakedness? Did you get that? Naked meaning you don't have the glorified body. And this is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. So when people preach about nakedness, you see, the skin that they used in clothing then was actually... It typified Christ. It typified the early sacrifices in the Old Testament. 
When the Bible said they saw fig leaf, I explained to you, the fig leaf were not just some fig of a tree. They got into another form of religion as a way of covering. And I explained to you, that's why Jesus have to call the fig tree. Which represent the religion of the Jews. That's why I call the fig tree. No man will eat of thee henceforth. Remember then he was going to the cross? And the Bible made us understand that the thing died from the root. That means the foundation of Judaism was caused. It's not talking about one tree growing. How can Jesus be looking for a fruit on the tree and it was no time for figs? Did you get that? It was no time for, for the fig tree to bear fruit. So why can Jesus be so wicked to cause a tree that he knew the season had not come? We don't think. <laughs> Hallelujah. I said, hey, faith, when you call, it's going to happen. Yeah, by faith, Jesus called the fig tree. I have no problem with that. It's fine. But you first understand what actually happened. Are we still together? So, even when Adam and Eve was naked, what happened? God gave them a covering. Get religion out of them and give them a covering. Still protecting them. You can't go away from God unless He never gave back to you by His Spirit. Let's see, we're almost done here. John chapter 10, verse number 27. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Are we here? Mm. <laughs> Look at it from verse 27. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. They follow me. Hallelujah. I always say this. Do you hear God? Are you a sheep or a goat? You see, somebody wrote something. In Palestine, you know, that's the way you have the pigs, I mean the sheep, fenced off in the pens, whatever the case may be. When the shepherd comes in the morning and opens the gate, you see all of them rushing out because taking them out to graze. And so this man was in Palestine and he went close to such an atmosphere. And he tried to speak or do one thing or the other. None of the sheep could move. Then the real shepherd came and your blue whistle. See the force with which the sheep were coming out. My sheep hear my voice. They know me. And they follow me. And the voice of stranger, they will not follow. Let's read on. Verse 28 says, And I give unto them what? Eternal life. How eternal is eternal life? I mean, just look at it. I gave them world eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Oh, glory to God. Now you tell me, I mean, if you can believe that you can backslide on God, and the devil can take you away, then you never had eternal life before. Because how eternal is eternal life? 
that you can backslide on God and your eternal life can be cut short. How eternal was that? Are you still here? You see, we, 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 we like to preach fear so that people can serve God. But you don't serve God out of fear. You serve God out of love. Listen again. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. I will explain that to you. What does it mean to perish? They can't be destroyed. They can't die. They can't go away. Nothing. They shall never... Oh my God. Somebody needs to see this. Are you still there? Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Read the next because I would like us to finish it. My father who gave them unto me is greater than them all. Can I hear an amen? And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Glory to God. Did you see that? No man. Let's take this from the Amplified Translation. Back to verse 27. Amplified. I love it this way. The sheep that are my own here and listening to my voice. And I know them and they follow me. Listening, not listen, listening. That's a continuous listening. Oh, glory to God. Is anybody saying this? How often do you hear God? Listening. The next thing. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never lose it. Can I hear an amen? Come on. <laughs> Nothing. Unless you were not born again. They shall never lose it. Or perish throughout the ages. Praise God. To all eternity. They shall never by any means be destroyed. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Not even the devil. No one. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm saying unless you are not born again, unless you are not a child of God. Mm, you need to get this fact. Listen, you should just have confidence in your faith. You are secured. In the hands of the Lord. Your salvation is permanent. Nothing. So I say, David, this thing you're saying, you're making... I'm not giving any euphoric statement to anybody. I am telling you what is real, what is scripture, what is life. What you have is an eternal life. And it's as eternal as eternal can be. <laughs> Look at this. I give them eternal life and they shall never lose it or perish throughout the ages to all eternity. They shall never by any means be destroyed. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. No one. The devil can't do it. Even sin can't do it. Can I hear anyone? No one. I'm telling you what the Bible says. I'm telling you what I know from Scripture. And what the Lord said all by himself. Look at the next verse. My father... Who has given them to me is greater and mightier than all else, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. I want to look at the next thing, verse 30. I and the Father are one. Can you get that? 
I mean, you tell me. <laughs> How could one believe that there is anything that will make you to backslide on God in such a way that you can come back to God? No. <laughs> you know, the word perish, when it said, then she must perish, the word perish, the Greek word there is a polymine. It means to destroy fully. To perish or lose. To destroy, to die, to lose. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? Praise the living God. Jesus said, All that the Father has given unto me, no power, no devil, no spirit, is able to plug them out of here, out of my hands. Praise the living God. Are you still following me? I want you, I want you to understand that your faith is secured in God. I want you to understand that, that no matter the storm, the wind, the temptation, you're still a child of God till tomorrow. You are. Glory to God. Listen, one thing you have to start knowing about me is this. I'm not afraid to tell you truth that's in the Bible. Even if it contradicts all that the world has come to believe. I'll tell you what is in the Bible. Not what anybody thinks. Not what anybody believes. What the scripture says. No power is able. If anybody ever gets missing, if anybody gets to a state where he can't come back to God, then he was not in the first place the sheep of the Lord. He was not a child of God. He was not born again. Going to church doesn't mean you were born again. Praise the living God. So now, next week, go with me to Mark chapter 3, verse 28, 29. That's where we're going to be dealing with next week. Mark chapter 8. I just wanted to read it. But whosoever speaks abusively against or maliciously misrepresenting the Holy Spirit can never get forgiveness, but is guilty of and is in the group, I mean the glass of what an everlasting transpires. You can take it from the King James. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost had never forgiveness. But it's in danger of all eternal damnation. Look at the next verse. Because, this is the point, which I'm going to explain to you next week. Because they said he had what? An unclean spirit. That's just all. He was healing people, casting a devil, and they said he was doing that with the spirit of Bezebub. And I'm going to explain that to you fully next week. Why they use those words. The reason they said what they said. Because, that is the key point. They said the power that is using is of the devil. Yet it was of the Holy Spirit. Now the point is this. You can't become a child of God. You can't even believe in the Lord Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. So rejecting the Holy Spirit means you do not have a way of coming to God. That's what he's trying to say. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is at work. You are saying there is nothing like Holy Spirit. 
I remember somebody once asked me a question in South Africa, and he said, We have a man in your country who does it, who does it, does it, does this. What do you have to say about his ministry? I, said, I wasn't there when God called him. And he said, What do you mean by that? I said, Well, the simple fact is this. What about if what he's doing is of the Holy Spirit? And now I start speaking against what he's doing. What that's supposed to mean? I'm speaking against the Holy Spirit. Am I right? I have to save myself from such spirit and such words because I do not know with what spirit he's doing whatever thing he's doing. I have no idea. God has not spoken to me about it. But this is what informs my ministry for anybody who cares to know. I don't care if there's an idol worshiper in this place. That is not my business. I don't really care if you build a big temple and you worship an idol there and bringing people there. According to Jesus, I don't really care. You say, what do you mean? This is what I mean. Simon the sorcerer was in Samaria. Philip the evangelist went to Samaria. You never heard Philip say one word against Simon the sorcerer. All that Philip did when he got to Samaria was to preach the message of the kingdom. And when he was to leave, he asked Peter and James or whatever to come to Samaria. Guess what? Simon the sorcerer saw the power that was released from Philip and the one that was following Peter himself. What did he do? He renounced all that he was doing, brought money and said, can you give me the power that you are using? When you are focused on truth and positive situation, the negative will look for you. You can't spend your energy chasing negative things, pursuing. What time do you have for all of that? Even as a preacher, what time do you have for all of that? Hallelujah. Preach the truth. And men will get the truth and they will be set free. And even those worshiping wrong spirit, they come looking for you. So if you see somebody in this country who doing some miraculous things and you feel a wrong spirit, now you do the real one and let's see. You are asked to shine the light. You are not asked to condemn darkness. Shine the light. Darkness will disappear. Hallelujah. Preach truth. Evil will disappear. Preach truth. Light will be shown there. Darkness will go away. For darkness cannot comprehend the light. Friends, what am I trying to make you understand? The scripture made us to understand if you are truly born again, the life you have is an eternal life. And nothing can happen to it. Nothing can touch you. No power can pluck you out of the hands of the Father. You are secured in His hand. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.